Dear listeners, a quick note about today's episode. The events depicted are based on a real-life story, though some names have been changed. It's Tuesday morning, the 15th of December, 2020, in Bondo County, Kenya. Bondo County is about an eight-hour drive northwest from Nairobi, the country's capital. Ishmael hurries along bush tracks, breathing heavily. His heart beats faster as he increases his pace. He begins to run, using his machete to cut through overgrown leaves, grass, and branches along the narrow path on the route to the village elder's house. Ishmael is on his way to report what he just saw on his farm. He is a few meters away and can see the house of the village elder. He dashes into the compound where he sees a boy of about 10 years old playing with a worn-out tire and a stick. He quickly asks the little boy where his mother was and orders him to go inside the house and call her. The boy is started by the man and runs into the house to call his mother. Seconds later, a middle-aged woman appears at the door. She dries her hands using the wrapper tied around her waist as she rushes out with bare feet to meet him. Makena recognizes Ishmael. He's a caterera and has a farm not too far from hers. She motions to him to take a seat on the front porch to catch his breath, but he declines. Makena sees the sweat and leaves matted on his face. He looks frightened, like someone had chased him from the farm. Ishmael, why are you breathing like that? <laughs> my farm. There's a body in my farm. What do you mean a body? It's... I think it's a dead body. What? A man. Are you sure? Yes, yes, I'm sure. Whose body is it? I don't know. I came here immediately. I couldn't even look at it. My God. Are you serious? Yes, yes. Take me there, please. Okay, okay. Makena is started by what she's hearing. She motions to Ishmael to wait a second for her to get properly dressed. A few minutes later, Makena rushes out wearing slippers as she wraps her head tight. She tells the caterera to lead the way to his farm. Ishmael leads Makena to the spot and points at the body which was partially covered with dead leaves and broken stems. Although the face was not visible, Ishmael could tell from the trousers and hands that it was a man's body. Makena moves past Ishmael to get closer to inspect the body. The trousers looked familiar to her. She tells Ishmael to remove the leaves and stems that covered the face and the upper part of the body. The face was pale and badly disfigured. Deep and multiple cuts ran through the head, face and shirt as if a machete was used to hack the man to death. But Makena is quick to recognize the face. She staggers back a bit and almost slumps to the ground before Ishmael grabs her. She screams out a name as she grabs onto Ishmael. Ishmael looks over at the body and immediately recognizes who it is. It's Philip Otieno, Makena's husband. I am so tired of this man. She stabbed me. Oh shit. Officer, I didn't kill my husband. Boyamin is dead. I love my husband. <laughs> Nothing in life is certain except death, taxes, and crime. Criminals exist in every community. They can be a complete stranger, a next door neighbor, or the person you kiss goodnight. Welcome to the third season of True Crime Niger. 
I'm your host, John Iwodi. In this series, we bring you stories of crimes that have actually happened not only in Nigeria but across Africa. We hope that by sharing these stories, we all become a little smarter at detecting and preventing similar crimes. Makena Mwangi is a 49-year-old woman and the third wife of Philip Otieno. His two ex-wives left the marriage because they were unable to take his constant abuse and brutality. And when they ran away, they left behind four children, all girls. About 11 years ago, when McKenna met and fell in love with Philip, she believed that if she could bear him a son, he would not treat her like he treated his former wives. Shortly after they got married, McKenna became pregnant and in 2010 she gave birth to a male child. Fast forward 10 years later, it's nightfall on Monday, the 14th of December 2020, and Philip Otieno staggers in the darkness to find his way home. He has had a lot to drink, maybe even too much. Everything is a blur, but the road to his home is familiar. At the front of the house, he runs his hands along the wall until he finally feels the doorknob and pushes the door open. As Philip stumbles into the house, he calls out for his wife. Makina! 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 Ah, where is that stupid woman? Philip shouts at his wife as he sinks his full weight into one of the sofas in the sitting room. The stench of alcohol fills the room. Makina rushes out from the kitchen carrying a tray of food. She was already expecting Philip to be coming home drunk and she knew that he would demand food as soon as he arrived. Although Philip didn't give her any money for food items, McKenna had managed to feed him and their entire family by farming the land that her father-in-law had left her. She sets down the trail in front of Philip and she's careful not to get too close to him. She doesn't like getting into trouble with Philip, especially when he's drunk. Philip consumes the meal almost immediately after his wife places it on the table. After he has had his fill, he calls out for her to clear the table. As Makena approaches, he grabs her hand before she could touch the tree. Yes! Where is that title deed? The land my father gave you. My land. Where is it? Makena begins to panic under the firm grip of her husband's hand. She struggles, frees herself from his grip and moves away. She knows that this is going to turn into yet another argument about the title deed. Before Makena's father-in-law died, he gave her the legal right over the family land because his father believed that she was more responsible than Philip, his son. The last time he gave Philip a plot of land, he sold it and used the money to fuel his alcohol addiction. Your father gave me the title deed and you know I used the land to farm for the whole family. I don't care what you use the land to do. You can't have what's mine. But it is my name that is on it. Mm. So you even have the mouth eh, to talk to me, to reply me. I have told you, if you don't give me that deed, I will kill you. Philip stands up from the sofa and moves towards his wife. He's furious and the food has given him new energy. Now, go in there and get me that title deed immediately. McKenna backs away from Philip and into the kitchen. The last time they had a fight, she was almost left for dead after being severely beaten by Philip. She was saved by one of the neighbors who took her to the hospital. 
Philip refused to visit her in the hospital or pay the hospital bill. She was careful not to get into another fight with him again. But now, McKenna is terrified because Philip is not only furious, he's also very drunk. After a few minutes of hiding in the kitchen, she comes out and sees that the coast is clear. She doesn't see Philip in the living room. While McKenna was in the kitchen, Philip had gone to the bedroom to look for something. He sees a panga in the corner of the room. Panga is a local name for a knife which looks like a machete. He grabs the panga, holds it over his head and stomps into the living room. From the corner of her eyes, McKenna sees her husband and ducks as he swings the panga at her. She dodges again as he continues swinging over her head. McKenna manages to grab his hand and they struggle for the panga. She wrestles the knife from him and he lunges for her. She swings the panga and makes contact with his head. Philip staggers backward as McKenna continues to cut through his face and head. Unable to escape or defend himself, he screams in pain and slumps to the ground. It is now almost midnight on Monday and McKenna is still standing holding the blood-stained panga in her hand. She begins to pace back and forth. When she realizes that the panga is still in her hands, she throws it on the floor and it makes a noise. She's startled by the noise and that's when she remembers her son was in the next room. McKenna tiptoes to his room and peeks in. He's still sleeping. She returns to the living room and she knows she has to clean up before her son wakes up. But first, she has to dispose of the body and she cannot leave the body on her own farm. It's bound to attract suspicion. So McKenna takes the body to a neighboring farm, Ishmael's farm, about 200 meters away and dumps it there. In the darkness, she pulls at some leaves and broken stems on the farmland to cover the body. Then she heads back home and spends the rest of the night into the early morning hours cleaning the blood stains from the floor. Later that Tuesday morning, Ishmael is out grazing his cattle when he notices an object that looks like a body. He approaches and sees what looks like the legs and hands of a man. He's not sure what he's looking at, but he thinks it's a dead man. Ishmael backs away, turns around and runs. That Tuesday afternoon, the 15th of December 2020, Assistant Superintendent Philip Ungao is in his office at the local police patrol base when he hears a knock on his door. His orderly opens and announces the presence of McKenna, the area elder, and Ishmael. He orders them to be allowed to enter. Superintendent Ngao had already reviewed the written statements that McKenna and Ishmael had given earlier that morning. His men had visited the scene and Philip's body had been transferred to the morgue for autopsy. While they wait for the autopsy results, Superintendent Ngao wants to start interrogating McKenna and Ishmael. As they enter the room, he motions for them to take their seats. He looks over at McKenna and notices that her eyes are red and swollen. He knows that her continuous crying is the cause for her red eyes, but he cannot understand why her eyes would be swollen as though she had not slept well the previous night. Madam, tell me the truth. Are you saying your husband did not return home last night? Officer, I didn't see him. He always drinks a lot and comes home late. 
Madam, I didn't ask you about his drinking habit. Just answer my question. Did your husband return home last night? The superintendent's gaze stays fixed on McKenna. She looks away and lowers her gaze to stare at the floor. She knows what the superintendent is implying and she starts to shake her head in denial. Officer, I didn't kill my husband. I love my husband. <laughs> McKenna begins to cry. The officer sighs. He softens his tone and continues. Madam, madam, I understand you. Believe me, I understand your point of view. But then, crying will not solve this case. You need to tell us what you know and answer my question directly. Did your husband come home last night? No, sir. The assistant superintendent is skeptical. He leans back into his seat as he considers his next move. Could she be lying? Or why would she lie? The superintendent knows by the numerous reports he had received in the past from their neighbors that Philip was always beating his wife. But she had never directly reported him to the police. If she did this, why now? The damage inflicted on Philip's body required a lot of force. Could she have physically actually done it? Something about McKenna's body language seems off to Superintendent Ngao. Sensing that he could get more from her alone, he dismisses Ishmael from the room. As Ishmael leaves the room, the Superintendent leans forward on his desk and interrogates McKenna further. Talk to me, madam. I know that your husband has been assaulting you. It is even possible that everyone knows about this. But then, if you know anything about your husband's death, you have to tell me. If not, if an investigation is opened and you are somehow connected, then I promise you, the law will be very harsh on you. McKenna breaks down and tells Ngao exactly what happened the night before. He has no choice but to hold her in custody until the autopsy is complete and charges can be pressed. The assistant superintendent receives the autopsy reports from the hospital. The post-mortem reveals that the cause of death was due to a heart arrest secondary to deep injuries to the head. He files the confession and charges McKenna to court to stand trial for the murder of Philip Otieno, her husband. It's now three months later, the 9th of March 2021, the day of McKenna's sentencing. McKenna looks around the courtroom. It's nearly empty. Just her, her advocate, the prosecutor, and some of Philip's family members sitting in the gallery. They were all wearing masks. For the past three months, McKenna has been in police custody. The bill was set for her at 50,000 Kenyan shillings about 180,000 Naira, or $450, but McKenna couldn't find a shorty who could afford the bond. Judge Kamau enters the courtroom and sits on the bench. Everyone in the courtroom sits except for McKenna, who remains standing in the dock, her head bowed as she stares down at her feet. Judge Kamau begins to address McKenna. This court is persuaded that the accused person acted in self-defense when she killed the deceased husband with the panga that he had proposed to use to cut her into pieces. There is ample evidence that the accused person was attacked by the deceased who was armed and in such circumstances 
that the only way out was for the accused person to engage the deceased. I am persuaded that the accused killed the deceased in self-defense but applied excessive force, hence the defense is not absolute. I sentenced the accused person, Makinamwangi, to serve a non-custodial sentence of one day imprisonment to last at the end of this court session. Makena jerks her head up and looks at Judge Kamau and then looks over to her advocate, Mr. Mishindi. She's surprised and confused. When her trial first started on the 27th of January 2021, she had been arraigned for the charge of first-degree murder. At that time, McKenna agreed that she killed her husband, but she did not plan to kill him, so she pleaded not guilty to the charge. Two weeks later, on the 15th of February, the charge was changed to manslaughter, to which McKenna pled guilty. McKenna was expecting a reduced sentence for the manslaughter charge, but she never expected the sentence of just one day. Over in the gallery, Philip's family members were also confused. Judge Kamau continues reading her judgment. According to Amnesty International, a slap, a punch, a kick, a forceful shove, intimidation, coercion and fear, dominance, power and control, these elements constitute domestic violence. Yesterday was International Women's Day. As the world marks the occasion, the question that this court poses is, what can a person of the accused person herein Makinamwangi be celebrated for? And what will she be remembered for? There are only two things to remember her for from the facts of this case. One is that she was a butchered, battered, dehumanized and violated woman who had no voice. Secondly, she will be remembered as a person who killed her husband in the process of defending her own life. The deceased was intoxicated as usual, and had he killed the accused, it would just add to another case of manslaughter. Because he was under intoxication, and the accused person's story would never be told by anyone since the dead tell no tales. We would never know that the accused herein was undergoing domestic violence which she had lived with throughout her marriage to the deceased. Now, I am aware that if the accused is allowed to return back to her community, she may not be safe. Therefore, I further order that the accused person shall be aided by this court from the witness expenses vote with the traveling expenses to reach a safe place of abode other than her matrimonial home, assisted by the probation officer, who shall also organize for counseling sessions to enable the accused person recover from the traumatic experience she had with her late husband. This court believes that through this judgment, the accused person and others who have undergone or are undergoing domestic and gender-based violence can have their voices heard. They are encouraged to report to any law enforcement agency or to the many non-governmental organizations that are registered and are involved and dedicated to the advancement of life and human dignity. Run for your lives, both men and women who are being abused. There is no love that can never be lost, yet love should never be lost by killing one another. 
find an escape route to safety. Do not condone violence being meted on you. Be remembered and be celebrated as a person who escaped from the jaws of the lion and not as one who condoned being predated on by the ugly teeth of a hyena. True Crime Niger is a Triple E Media production. Production copyright 2022, Triple E Media Productions. If you enjoyed this episode of True Crime Niger and would like to hear more, go to our website at 234audio.com to play the sample content, then download our app from the Google Play Store for even more episodes. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel at 234audio to watch the video for this episode. Make sure to click the notification bell, like and leave a comment. Our episodes can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave a comment because it helps other people to find our content. This episode of True Crime Niger was written by Ramat Mohammed and Samuel Ini. Produced by Antonietta Kalunta. Directed by Antonietta Kalunta. Executive producer Ramat Mohammed. Rotmoa Wakwa as Makena Mwangi. Blanco as Ishme and Philip Otieno. Simon Jr. as Assistant Superintendent Philip Ngao. And Alex Gekbe as George Kamau. Sound editing Sam Tabakaji. Sound recording, mixing, and mastering Dominic Tabakaji. Cover art by Mala Iwa Bado Ikaliku. Stay alert, stay alive, see you next week. Thank you.